Hi, Kel. Hi, Tim. How are you? Good. Uh, thanks for the cuppa. No worries. It's nice, isn't it? It is. It's like, ah, oh, warm, yummy goodness. Orange it's, tea. It's um, orange flavoured tea. It's delicious. It is. It's beautiful. It's the only herbal tea that I like. And this one, they don't stock in the supermarket anymore. I've gone everywhere to try and find it. And then I had to end up just like searching online for it. I found it in a... Was it the dark web? Yeah, I got. I scored the tea I like on the dark web. Nice. Through the Silk Road. Silk <laughs> Road <laughs> yep. doesn't exist anymore, but you know. Well, whatever. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know it doesn't exist anymore? That's what you've been told. Tuesday night. It's actually Anzac Day. Yeah. We're here to talk about the, well, this is like, okay, so this is like the last proper episode in series one of the podcast, right? Oh, we're going to have it in series. Yeah. That makes sense, I suppose. What do you reckon? I guess, yeah. yeah. I never thought of it like that. So once this one's done, they'll be out there in the world. And yeah. after that, we're going to embark on a new, new angles, multiple new angles of talking mm. about crap together, right? <laughs> yeah. And we're going to release them still through Patreon up front. And then after one month, they will be free on the internet. So Patreon people, you're still on board with us. Thank you. And you're still going to get everything a month before the general population. And probably content that's specific for Patreon. Definitely, definitely content that's specific. We're going to work on that some more. Yeah. Because we're making a film at the moment. We've got tons of footage lying around that isn't going to make the film. So you're going to get to see that and it's never going to go on YouTube or anything. It's just for you. Oh, cool. We also haven't done this yet, but we would like to do the Zoom meeting, the Zoom band meeting. Oh, yes. <laughs> where <laughs> we, we have like, that, have we? <laughs> we haven't done that. And it was a big promise at the beginning. Yeah, I, I think that was the biggest selling point as far as I was concerned. We are all mouth. And no trousers. That's it. <laughs> With um, that, um, welcome to this episode of... The ending goes forever. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you weren't ready that time. You spring it on me and I'm never prepared. I was just going to ask you, what do you feel like when you're in this room? Because it's such a different room from the rest of my house. Uh, It's like a little clubhouse. You know when you're like 12 and you go to your, your friends, let's form a club. And it's like for doing nothing more than like eating some crisps and uh, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know, like playing with your pen knife. <laughs> Looking at some old Super playboys from the porn. 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> um, it's funny you mentioned that because this room in this house was, a, like a rumpus roomy type billiards room or something. So there's like a built-in cupboard, which I think held the billiards and the... Yeah, it looks like There's it. a built-in bench seat, and I think maybe that's where they would store the cues. And it's got like this wood panelling on the walls, and it's just such a strange You could have almost vibe. fit a little bar in the corner. Yeah, like it feels a like a tiki yeah. room, but from your parents' house. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I love it down here. It's full yeah, of guitars cool. and 
kind of half feels like a caravan as well because yeah, of those yeah, yeah. caravan um, screens. <laughs> and it's a little musty. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a little musty because behind it, there's a door. Like, there's a doorway right here, but then if you walk out that door, it's a screen door. If you right. walk out yep. there, there's yep. just a bit of a concrete slab and then dirt. Yeah. So it's you it's can't close it off yeah. properly. Yeah. And it does smell a bit earthy as well as musty. Anyway. That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, it's earthy. So here we are. This is where I play the guitar. Yeah. So we're here to talk about Pop Guilt, which was our big comeback album. So I listened to it in the car this morning. And you say big comeback in well, um, inverted commas. <laughs> It was our comeback album. <laughs> so many weird thoughts about it, listening to it in the car. Uh, do you want me to start or do you want to start? You start. So there are heaps of things I like about it and heaps of things I don't. Okay. There's heaps of weird feelings around it. Like being a comeback album, I didn't put any stock into that at the time. I didn't, you know, factor that in whatsoever, nor should I have done, you know, I guess. But listening to it as a comeback album is kind of weird because – it represents um, a, what would it be, a 14-year gap between albums for us. And in that time, you put out several albums as a soloist in certain bands. I put out maybe six or seven or eight albums in other bands and whatnot. And we change as people and as songwriters and as musicians. And it's weird because on the one hand, you've got us three back in a room together, you, me and Dean and Derek, and we're doing what we always did in the same way, but we're different and so the album's different and the songs in a way sound different, right? Mm -hmm. They're written in a different fashion. They're super straight for the most part again, but totally unlike, say, Take Your Part. Mm -hmm. And there's elements of the album which, uh, like, say, for example, there's probably three standout tracks which make me just get all the feels, right? Mm Mm-hmm. One is All Over It Again, mm-hmm. one is Sciatic Hearts, and one is Regrets. Mm. And I get the feels because they've got the kooky, right? Mm. They've totally got the screen feeder kooky, which is what I love. And they sound a tiny bit crazy and a tiny bit like they're in danger of flying off at any moment, right? Mm. The only complaint about the album is that it is the recording is very clean and very hi-fi and very sort of safe, right? Mm. And it in my mind, it detracts from what Screen Fit is about because all our other albums have got a lot of kooky and a lot of like shit going on that you probably didn't plan or a lot of just hanging on by the bare threads. And this album seems very much more considered and very much more tidily mixed and all that kind of stuff. What do you think? I actually totally agree. And I didn't know whether, I wasn't sure I was able to articulate what it was but I think you nailed it like right. it's um I think the word that came to my mind was that it was very commercial sounding wow and I don't know if commercial is even the right word just very clean considered um hi-fi yeah and it kind of makes me a bit uncomfortable right I mean whilst I love like the newest Swerve Driver albums for example they're very clear mm. and well recorded and and stuff as yeah. well I don't know whether it's because I hold our music or myself or whatever to a different standard to everybody (laughs) or like I can't feel myself making really crisp, clear music well or something. Like for an example, when I did the Majestic Horses and Mm. I was recording with Keelan, he 
you know, all, I have all of the go-to references musically that I send to someone I'm going to record with. And, you know, it was Swerve Driver and like PJ Harvey and different things like that. And then when we were sort of mixing, I'm going, oh, it's too crisp and clear and I'm right. dirty it up a bit. And he's like, that's so weird that you're sending me like these really crisp and clear recordings as references, but you don't want to sound like that. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't feel like it deserves to sound like that. Wow, weird. I mean, it's just an aesthetic choice too. Like my ears love to hear it, but mm. when I make it, I want it to be dirty and gritty or something. Well, for me, that's not, I get what you're saying and I can totally sympathize and I feel exactly the same way. But for me with this album, that's not really what I'm referring to. So like, Say, um, what am I trying to say? I say, listen to Kitten Licks. Like, it's clear as a bell. You can hear everything that's going on. The drums are lovely and bright and vocals are right out. It's super clear. But there's a small element of crazy about it. And there's a small element of you can hear that the band has walked in after just learning the song and they've recorded it and that's what you're hearing. Whereas with this album, you can tell that you're hearing a recording that's been edited and thought about and mixed in that very, very clinical way. Yeah, I get exactly what you mean about kitten licks. It's got a rawness, and maybe that's the yeah, word. Yeah, raw. Yeah. You can kind of just tell with, say, for example, kitten licks. You can kind of tell it's sitting on the edge. Yeah. Of the band's pushing it as hard as they can, and it's if they push it any further, it'd fall over. You know what it's I mean? It's like energy too, and yeah. I think there's a lot of energy missing from this potentially from that treatment because, like, we recorded it in dribs and drabs. Yeah. Yeah. And then we had it mixed by five different people. Yeah. Although it's cohesive. You're right. The big thing, I think, was that really it's our only album that we didn't go somewhere for one block of time and record the whole album and come home again. Yeah. So we went to Derek's studio, The Shed, uh, for a period of probably at least a month and just went in on nights, weekends, the odd day here and there. And we put it together like that. And uh, sure, it's a great way of working. It was convenient and it was it suited what we had to do. But the level of preparedness of the songs was probably similar to Five Rooms. Like we're mm. barely holding on to some of the arrangements, right? Mm. But on Five Rooms, you can kind of hear that a lot. And there's a total sense of weird danger or fragility about a lot of the Five Rooms stuff that you can tell we're just hanging on. Or we can anyway. Yeah. Yes, 100%. Like the studio time, because it was Derek's studio we were able to go in and work and keep going back and going yeah, back. Yeah. So I think a lot of that energy gets sucked into, yeah. like we've got all these photos of you and Derek sitting there with a million pedals and 16,000 guitars trying to just, you know, get very minute on details, which you don't really fuss over. You don't have the ability to when you're doing it really quickly. And then that probably just impacts on the sounds and yeah. the vibe. I mean, the sound is actually great, right? It sounds but- great. Like if you think about the session at Airlock where we did five rooms, it was fairly stressed and chaotic and we were struggling, right, both with the arrangements and getting sounds and we always got to the point where we are like, okay, it's going to be that and we just ran with it. Yeah, that's the... And there was no going back. That's the element that's missing. That's what I love about the way that we have always recorded because you just don't have the time and the luxury to second guess everything or third mm. guess things. And that's what I guess happens when you do a, an album over a long period of time. You just keep going back and working on yeah. things that should have just been nailed. Yeah. And then you get an album that, you know, this album sounds great. Like mm. the thing, talking about it in this way is like being, you know, having the ability to pick apart your own music. So, you can just feel where there's yeah. things. 
And I guess I've become used to being a band who aren't sitting around comfortably spending endless time. I feel comfortable being in a band that's pushed for time yeah. or has to make decisions or, you know, has to just do our best and move on. I think, you know, it's that idea of like perfection is the thing that stops things from getting done and that way of working is like finding perfection mm. because um, you, yeah, you just don't have the time ticking away and yeah. you can see the dollars yeah. flying out the window yeah. and that the studio's booked the next day so you have to finish. So it kind of means that you're just never really going to finish so I think what that lends itself to the, with this record is that it's a little bit laboured over. I never really thought of this as being a comeback record the way you said like I'm actually kind of was shocked hearing you say that because well, I it didn't it didn't feel like one did no it, it didn't you know? but I guess it's people would see it as that yeah and it never set out to be one either no and maybe we should have thought about that yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. when we wrote these songs and that's why I asked you how you feel being here because in this room we actually wrote a lot of the songs together here and you know, life was really different for us from all the other records. We were both working. I had a full-time job and I was able to give you Fridays between 12 and 2 o'clock and yeah. that was our period of time to write. We were just so busy mm. with life and it became, um, you know, you had to switch on and you had to be ready and prepared and work in that two-hour period and that's how we wrote a majority of these songs. And that, again, is so different from so how different. we wrote for all the other albums. Yeah. But, you know, not that it's inherently a problem. Like, the songs are, themselves are kind of fine, you know. Yeah. But, like, I kind of get to the midpoint of the album and I start, the songs start to annoy me a little because, like, you know, I'm saying what I've already said, but they sort of sound a little safe and a little tidy and mm. a little bit like we could have pushed ourselves harder. Yeah. An interesting one. Mm. It was a really interesting time. So, I mean, when I get to the end of the album and I hear Regrets and Sciatic Heart, I'm kind of relieved again because they're kind of a couple of my faves. Yeah. Especially Sciatic Heart, which is possibly my favourite song on the album. It could literally be a Kitten Licks B-side or yeah. something like that. You know, it could yeah. be one of those songs like Fooferon or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, like it sounds good. Everybody did a good job on it. And especially sure Derek. Did. He yeah, did yeah, yeah. all the tracking. And he mixed like the almost the lion's share of it as well. Oh, he mixed just about half of it, almost yeah. half of it, yeah. And he did such a great job and, you know, hooray, because you said something about it was the first time the three of us had been back in the studio together. Well, I guess I meant because we were three back then. Yeah. So that was, the, that was what I meant. Yeah. So we thought we should give that shout out to him. Cool. So are we already up to let's go song by song? Or? I guess we are. Yeah, let's do it. What the hell? Upon the roof, back in the dunes, you caught me in the half light. Behind the door, back in my room, decisions took me all night. 
Half-Lies was one of about four songs that ended up on the record that I wrote when I was in England doing this songwriting thing in 2016. I had a month where I was living on my own in a flat, just writing songs every day. That was my mission. I wrote about 30 songs. Uh, a few went to We All Want To album on the dots. A few went on this album. And this was one of them. And, you know, it's a very straight formulaic pop song, fairly high energy. It's got the cool tempo shift right at the beginning. It's not a super typical screen feeder song, but it's got something. It's got the energy. It's funny. I see Dinosaur Jr.'s influence coming in through a couple of these songs, especially this one with yeah. the tempo change, like Feel the Pain. Yeah. It makes it really fun to play. Yeah. Maybe it's a suitable opener. It's like, hey, remember us, we're back. This yeah. is an easy one for you to get your ears around again. Yeah. And I think it's actually quite similar to the last record that we did too. So it would have been at home on um, Take You Apart. I guess it would, right? Yeah. Yeah. Any intel on the lyrics? Uh, the lyrics? Not really. I mean, I was listening to that band Beach Slang. Oh, you know right, them? yeah. <laughs> and they're sort of like this loosely, in inverted commas, punk band, but super melodic, super distorted sort of American punk band. But they have this very romantic sort of side where the lyrics are, you know, all about stuff like that's in this song. Mm. And I was able to get Dave Downham, who mixed all the Beach Slang stuff, to mix this song. So it sort of came in pretty well for me in that regard. Cool. You know, the lyrics are sort of just um, yearning slash, uh, what's the word, uh, looking back. Nostalgia? Yeah, and a sort of nostalgic slash, um, you know, longing, sort of mm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Is it about anything specific? No. no it's just a, a feeling? Yeah, it might have even been a case of like those Take Your Part songs. I came up with a title and then just yeah. the song more or less wrote itself. But that leads us into All Over It Again, which yeah. is super fave. Like, I love everything about it. So this song's really interesting because of the way we wrote it. Yeah. So we were invited up to um, a place called Wild Mountains in a songwriting weekend type camp. thing. Yeah, camp. And so we camped and you had like um, a songwriting partner for a day and then you swapped the next day and wrote another song with someone else. And we wanted to write a song together, so we were paired up together for the first day. And we sat on a log and we had a view of Bow Desert or like whatever that... On the mountains on the border of New South Wales and Queensland. Yeah. So we started playing a song. I think you maybe started playing a riff and I started singing in my head. And again, this Dinosaur Junior thing, like I was sort of channeling like the phrasing of Jay mm. and I don't know if that ever comes across but it's funny because like you know there's those things that you always try and do to emulate someone or bring in and the spirit sounds of nothing like it. sounds nothing like yeah. it but for me it's like oh yeah this is where I'm trying to be Jay Maskers. Yeah. <laughs> I actually remember that we had the song sort of half written before we went up there and we finished it up there but I could be wrong oh maybe the music yeah but I definitely remember coming up with the lyrics yeah. sitting on that log. It's a funny song because, like, 
you know, I think it's super catchy and all the parts really work well and stuff, but the lyrics are, even though they're good, like we've tried to do it live and it's so weird because like all the verses are slight variations of each other. And so you can never get the right words. You're always harmonizing with different words, yeah. making mistakes. It's kind of super difficult to do live, but you know, I love listening to it. I love the little uh, harmony guitar lines that you kind of freaked out about. Yeah. When we were recording it, I remember just like going, oh my God, no, not the dual guitar lines. It's like cheap trick or something, which is what you love about it. Thin Lizzy. Um, Yeah. And we were going, what are we going to do with these harmony guitar lines? Are we going to ditch them or are we going to emphasize them? And we were really stuck on it. And then Wayne mixed it and he presented us with the obvious awesome third solution, which is just mix one back a bit and have one in the front. And it works fine. You know, even here in both bed, it doesn't sound like Thin Lizzy anymore. What I do in a lot of my lyrics is have like a thing that repeats itself, but it's very different. Yeah. Just like a couple of words are different. Yeah, there's a thing that we've always done. But I think for me, this song ticks all the boxes, actually. Like the lyrics are good, tune's good. I actually love the mix of it. The mix of it is fairly thin and spiky. The guitars are quite small and very, yeah, thin, toneless almost, yeah, um, I think which is kind of cool. That was one of the things about the recording that I was like, oh, this is weird listening to it today. It was like... The voices are very high and prominent, and yet the guitars were so low. And I was like, oh, no, this is like when we did uh, Rocks on the Soul and people were like, where are the guitars? I kind of felt a little bit like that. I love it how it is. I reckon it's perfect. Well, I would love to hear what it's like if it was mixed yeah. in the opposite way. Um, but that's I like having squashed down vocals. I'm so over that these days. Like, yeah. I can't even start on that. Like. I was going through Burnout Your Name just the other day because yeah. we we're putting it out on vinyl again. I was kind of just, I wasn't like remastering or remixing. I was just like running the tracks, you know, I was saving them as a vinyl master, so side A, side B. And I was trying to just do a tiny, tiny tweak where the center, the drums, the vocals get a tiny bit more clarity. Mm. And, you know, it's the most minuscule difference, but I think I managed it. But when I hear stuff these days where the vocals are buried, I freaking hate it. Yeah, right. And a song like All Over It Again, it's not like they're charging out front. But they're just balanced, just right, and they're clear, and you can kind of hear them. You're not going, what are they saying? Yeah, no, you can definitely hear all the words we say. Which is a real reversal of our old aesthetic and yeah. our whole thing back yeah. in the day, right? Yes. The Which opposite. is, you know, life does that to you. It throws you on your ass and bloody goes, you know what you used to think? Well, the opposite. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's over, all over it again.
like a lot of the things, like I might not listen to a lot of the music that I listen to, but I still like a lot of those, the aesthetics or the principles around it. But, you know, it is good to branch out and do different things and treat things differently. Mm. So tick, tick, tick. Yeah, I'm really happy with that one. It sort of gives me all the correct, like, screen feeder vibes as such, you know. Yeah. Also, um, when we did write this... I have a feeling that we actually did just come up with all of it on the spot. Right. Because when we walked off the mountain, it was like, that song is ready to go. Like, mm. we didn't change anything of it. Yeah, I don't think we wrote any of it beforehand. Yeah. What's the next song? Going in California? Uh, no, got a feeling. Got a feeling. I've just got a <clears throat> bit of that going on. Okay. Okay. Got a feeling. Okay, so Got a Feeling is another one which there's a huge, obvious Dinosaur Junior influence. So weird, right? That is weird because we've never spoken about this. I know. So for me to say that it's um, very Dinosaur Junior-ish and then you're like, oh, so this is another one. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, it is weird. This song kind of like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. What do you think about it? I have to look at the lyrics to remember how the song goes. Shall we play a little bit of it? Yeah. Don't want to hear a sound, but if I hear a sound again, I want to hear that like- Don't want to touch the noise But if I touch the noise again It's got to feel like only you could feel it Can't taste the morning Can't feel the force I got left on my lawn Yeah, this is a bit of a yeah song Yeah, it too. is, isn't it? But yeah not a bad song. It's kind of like, you know, when you say all killer and no filler. Yeah. This is tiny bit verging on filler. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. It is. Yeah. Which is awful to say about your art. Well, you've got to. you got to be honest. Yeah. You know, could have been nothing. Could have been what? Nothing. What do you mean it could have been nothing? Could have not been on the record. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> could have been a different song. Yeah. But anyway, like, cut that out. Mm. Um, it could have been a B side. True. But yeah, we aren't doing the same things with B-sides like what we used to. We used to record an album and then have five or six songs extra yeah. up our sleeve that you would put out on either a vinyl single back in the very early days or, you know, two or three songs on a CD single. I almost feel like, I almost think when you have a song which is allocated to a B-side, it gives it a whole lot more scope and it gives it a whole lot more room to breathe and it almost gives it a second chance at life. You know, like say this song had been a B-side, I'd probably like it more. Yeah, absolutely. You know I mean? Whereas now it's standing there on track four of the album going, hey, check me out. Yeah, and track four is a big call. It's a hot spot. It's You're a right. hot spot. It is. It's, <laughs> it's a really important spot. So, yeah, uh, that's a song which... You know, it's got a lot of good stuff in it, but for me, it doesn't make me go, wow. Mm. And you know what? Um, you know how at the end it goes to the halftime rock mm-hmm. out section? Do you know whose idea that was? Uh, don't know. That was Joe, our manager. Oh, really? Yeah, that was his idea. He's like, why don't you chop in half there and go rocking out? And like, <laughs> I was like, actually, um, yeah. Okay. I think I can remember that. Was he actually in the studio he when he suggested well been, that? Yeah. Because he also organised a film crew to come in and film us. That's right. Yeah.
long ago. I think I just can't remember a lot of it. And I wasn't writing a lot in my diary back then. Yeah, it was really kind of super recently. I mean, six years flies by like that. I know. And I think the midterm memory loss is worse than the (laughs) short term. Um, And I've got some pretty good long term memory. Um, But yeah, I think it was because there was so much other stuff going on, Uh you know, like being in other bands, working a full-time job, just life. Mm. It's so weird, the whole being in other bands thing, because like when we recorded everything with Screen Feeder right up until Take Your Part, we'd really only been in Screen Feeder, right? And we had this one way of doing things and it was the only way we knew how and therefore it was the only way that existed, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so we go off and form bands with other people and we have to go, holy shit, that method of doing this, that and the other that we're familiar with doesn't work with these other people. What the hell? What the hell, dude? I know. (laughs) You have to invent new ways of doing every single little facet of being in a band and then you come back to Screen Feeder with all this armory of new knowledge going, hey, you know, how are we going to do this? And you almost forget that you've got to stick to the script. Yeah, and it's not like we're boring and, um, you know, um, we're probably stubborn, but, you know, it's kind of like when you found something over this long period of time, you know how it works. Mm. So you don't need to break Fuck with it. Yeah, you don't need to break it. Mm. Um, but when you do go into a room to write songs with other people or to record or practice. There's a new language. There's a new social contract. There's a new give and take on so many levels. And, you know, I think because we always refer to ourselves as this well-oiled machine, Mm -hmm. like when we tour and we just know how each other works. Um, When you're doing it with new people who may not have even done it before, it's a whole new way of you have to check yourself yeah. because you're feeling like you're pushing your agenda on people because you feel like you know how to do it already and you just know how to do it with us. You don't know how to do it with other people. So, yeah, it's checking yourself. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's super weird. Like I was in another band called The Warm Guns and it was we had such a great time and I was like sort of wanting to move it in a certain way like – manage the band and kind of get things done. And um, it was so funny at that time I was watching the flights to see them go on special, see that you could go to Melbourne for like $79, call up someone in Melbourne, said, do you want to do a show? Let's book this venue. You had an hour to check with all of the people in the band and you'd book a tour around like the flights. So I think that because I was so focused on Mm -hmm. doing that, I was probably very, very pushy and, um, you know, I had a real clear idea of what I wanted to do, play shows, put that money into the bank account, record, put a record out and tour the way we did it. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to do that with this band and I was pushing too hard with them and it just all kind of fell apart. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. What what works with one group of people isn't going to be right for the next group of people. But yet you're in that situation B and you're trying to push agenda A and you're like, if we can't do agenda A, I'm not even interested. Sometimes, you know, like if we can't work at a decent rate and, you know, actually get shit done big time. Well, it just meant you have to like change your perspective a little Mm. bit. So, I mean, with that band, it was just kind of fraying and it sort of fell apart because everybody had other ideas about what was going on Mm. in life. And... 
Yeah, it, it was just an interesting thing. And then, you know, I've had other things where I've had people in other states who are in the same band as me. So, you know, having to work out how to record like Majestic Horses, I just kind of demoed the song, sent them down to both of those other players and we would go for a rehearsal in Sydney and then we went and recorded in Tasmania and it was crazy but it was an adventure and it worked well up until yeah. a point where I had to like get other people from other states to play mm. in the band. But anyway, what I'm saying is that we just have such a thing that works in such a specific way. Even when someone new comes in, it actually keeps working because it's solid yeah, true. already. Yeah. I play in a band called Valerie Trails. And um, I'm the lead guitarist in inverted commas, right? And it's actually, you wouldn't call it a super busy band, but at the same time, they do a lot of stuff. Like the main guy, Andrew, writes a lot. He's got a solid output. The records come out in America. He's got publicity over there. He's doing stuff. And, uh, but yeah, it's so cool because I'm the guy who just gets the email and says, hey, practice on this date. And we've got a gig and I'm like, okay, see you there. And I rock up. I practice my stuff the week yeah. before the gig, before the practice. I turn up and play the guitar, have a great time, high five the guys, <laughs> have a beer and go home again. And yeah. like, sure, if they want me to do some artwork for posters, you know, I'm happy to, you know, I'll do some stuff on socials, whatever, but that's the end. And it's such a dream gig. You yeah. Know? No pressure. And I love the song, so it's even better, you know, and they're super nice guys. You yeah. Know? So it's uh, a complete different experience again. Yeah, it's really fun being that person that's brought along. Yeah, um, really The stand-in or, you know, the hide gun. Yeah, it's amazing. I did that for Spider Bait for a couple uh -huh. of shows, which was very weird and unusual for me because I'm not really a hide gun type person. I join a band and mm. become part of the songwriting or – you know, the work every or whatever. Yeah, all the things. Yeah. And this was like Janet couldn't make two shows and it was all throughout the COVID situation and Melbourne was in a lockdown, but country Victoria wasn't. And so Wit could go to right. Queensland and Cram could come to Queensland. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to miss this show because I guess it was really well paid and it was also at Port Douglas and who doesn't want to go yeah. there? I had to learn all the songs to forget everything mm. when I got on stage because it was like cram is like, okay, so we'll do this. And then at the middle, you just listen, I'm going to yeah. change the beats. I'm going right. to go into seven, eight and some, you know, oh fucking God, right. reggae or something and just, you know, follow my lead basically. Wow. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that first gig I walked off the stage and I just wanted to, it was right on the edge of the ocean and I just wanted to walk off the rocks into the ocean <laughs> screaming because I was like, wow. oh, my God, I can't believe I just did that. Um, but I didn't because crocodiles. <laughs> yeah, you did good. And it's the other really weird thing about it is, right, when you first play with other people, you suddenly turn around, for example, and look at the drummer and go, oh, you can't do such and such that my other drummer can do, but yet you can do such and such that he doesn't do. Yeah, wow. Right. And that's even something like that is incredibly weird and yeah. crazy. And even in practice and stuff, you might say to someone, oh, can we just run the ending half a dozen times just to really <laughs> nail it? And they look at you and go, what do you what? mean? Yeah. Uh, where do you want to go from? And you just, this is the ending. Three, four. Yeah. And they're like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> and that's one of the things that we do so well. Yeah. It's like, we want to take it from, I'll just set it at the end. Two, yeah, three. Yeah. <laughs> and we just start. We do have our language. And I Bill just... has actually slotted into that amazingly, right? He has. And Derek 
too. Yeah, Derek's amazing at shit like yeah. that. Yeah. But Derek has been in the band for like 25 he has, years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a new guy, but he's been yeah. in the band for 20 years. Or is yeah. it 15? Or it's 23. Far out. Yeah, that's a joke. Poor old Derek. He always sort of feels like he's referred to as a new guy, but <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's an old guy. <laughs> hey, I'm your yeah, guy. Okay, sorry. You're the old guy. <laughs> I love this song. It's fun to play, huh? It's heaps of fun to play. It's very weird. Very short. It's a really bizarre song, Tim. Yeah, it's another one I wrote in England. Mm-hmm. Because that time in England, right, sure, I wrote 30 songs in a month. and But you know what? It was fucking grueling. Like some days I could come up with shit all and I would go through the whole day struggling to write anything and I'd get to 11 at night and I would have had a few beers or whatever and I'd be sitting there just like practically with my forehead on the table. And I'd hit record and just like play anything just to have something for the day. Yeah. And sure, I actually got a few songs out of it that way, which is amazing. Like seriously stream of consciousness lyrics, one take on a guitar. I'm like, there's an actual fucking song there. But um, this was one, I can't remember whether it was a grueling thing or it just came to me one day. So yeah, but that was another England song. Right. Which is funny because it's about California. Well, it's not about California. It just says California. I think I've got the riff and, you know, when you have a bouncy riff like that, the syllables have to fit. There's yeah. no, there's no like, oh, skating over it with some loose phrasing. You've got to be mega tight. There's no um, going down to Edinburgh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scooting off to Liverpool. <laughs> I was born in Townsville. <laughs> um, yeah, this song's funny because it's... Um, can't afford to marry you and kind of... Ain't going to carry you. Ain't going to carry you. And then I add my bit in, which is baby, baby. Oh, the baby's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's basically a funny song about nothing, but it's yeah. kind of just a little slice of uh, rocking out. The Graham McLennan Memorial Fellowship that you won, was there a plan you had to write those songs every single day Was or that was your own plan that you made for the trip? That was my own. So you could um, – <clears throat> so it's a thing called the Grant McLennan Fellowship and I, I won it as a songwriter, which is amazing and a super big honour. And you could choose whether you went to London or New York or hmm, – uh, Berlin. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I chose London because I'm from there and I kind of know my way around and I thought that would actually give me a bit more time. And I lived on my own in a flat for a month and made it my mission to write a song a day because after all, a day's pretty long and a song's pretty short, right? Presumably. And shit, dude, three days in I was dry. I was scraping <laughs> the bottom of the barrel. I had nothing. But, uh, you know, I bounced back. I found things to inspire me being in London and wrote quite a lot of songs that end up on the next We All Want To album, which I'm super proud of. And, uh, yeah, I just thought, fuck, if I'm over here, I've got to write a bunch of songs, I've got to have something to show when I get back. Mm. 
And do you have songs still left over from that? Yeah, I've got um, probably about 10 songs left over. So some I'm going to put on my solo album and the rest will probably go in the bin. Oh, okay. But not many. Probably three or four might go in the bin, but I've still got plenty of songs there. Yeah. And you should do a solo record. You have been talking about that, haven't you? Yeah. What are the plans? Any plans? Yeah, I'll do it this year. Okay, good. Mm, Thank you. (sighs) Next song. We've really veered off track. Oh, it's good. We're going to. Um, Shelter. Shelter's pretty awesome. It was kind of a throwback to an older style of writing for mm-hmm. me, I think. I'm actually pretty proud of this song because this song is kind of about what was bit at the forefront of the news and stuff and social media at the time. I think it was just after Rosie Batty had become Australian of the Year or something. And so it's kind of reflecting on gendered violence and women and homelessness wow. kind of thing. So it's kind of heavy in my mind. It doesn't necessarily translate, but, you know, it's about this idea that women need shelter, basically. Wow, okay. Yeah. Hmm. That's cool. There's a lot. I mean, it's reasonably simple, like, chord structure and stuff, but, like, there's tons of parts and guitars are freaking nuts busy. Yeah. And I remember we started writing that in here. Yeah, we did. It was mixed by Brad Wood. Yes. That's really exciting for me because I love Brad Wood's work. What's he done? Um, Liz Fair. Yeah. Uh, Seam. Seam. And... Yeah. Well, lots of things since, too, probably, yeah. right? Uh, he's yeah. a pretty big LA producer. Is he LA? I don't know if he's LA. Mm. Something so with this album, we got that Dave Downham guy I mentioned before. We got Brad Wood and we got Paul Calderi from um, Boston as well, who did a lot of the early Buffalo and Dinosaur Junior stuff. Yeah, and did he also work with something for Kate? I think possibly, he might yeah, have. maybe we should have done a little bit of research on this because, like, those producers are pretty They're exciting, pretty big league, yeah, big league, and sort also of hero producers, right? Yeah. To know that you can reach out to someone yeah. whose work you admire, yeah. then this was like who is like the roll call of people you'd like to work with. And, you know. We got them. We got them. Yeah. And all you have to do is ask. Should we touch on that idea of asking for stuff? Like, mm. not only did we reach out and ask people to work with us, but we reached out and asked our fans to help us make this record. Yeah, we financed it through crowdfunding, right? Yeah, and we'd never done that before. And so that was a new thing. Yeah. It was definitely like a thing, oh, it feels a bit weird to be asking people to contribute to the record you're making. And asking people for money. Yeah. But it was at the point where 
you know, there wasn't a lot of money around. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any money. We didn't have a label. Yeah. We really needed the help to make the record. Yeah. The idea of pre-ordering a record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could pre-order like a, a run of five distortion pedals. There was like T-shirts. And there was the one where you could pay and we would write a song. Oh, yes, of course. And that was the song that Day you Crew. wrote, Day Crew, yeah, with the, the name Samantha. Yes. And there was also uh, a guitar lesson, which I got taken up on by a guy in Perth. Yeah, so right. I went around to his house before a gig one night and gave him a couple of hours of guitar lesson. Actually, two. There was one in Sydney, too. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that was I great fun. I think we also did, like, handwritten lyrics Yeah, true. For songs. We did a whole bunch of stuff. And the whole thing about crowdfunding and asking for money, like, you know, we researched it and stuff. And the whole philosophy behind it was it's okay to ask mm. and it's it's a relational thing and... People don't have any pressure to give, but they might feel inspired to give or they might feel, hey, this is amazing. You know, I can actually contribute to what this artist that I like is doing. Like imagine if there's some band you loved, even back then, like say back in the 90s, like a band you loved, like say Seam, all right? Say if you heard Seam need 10,000 bucks to record an album, you go, fucking hell, I'm going to chuck in 50 bucks for Seam. Yeah, album. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the nice thing about it is all those people who did are listed on the credits for yeah. the album. So they're part of the record. Yeah, that's right. They're part of the artwork. Mm. Mm. It's really beautiful. Totally. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. The next song is Falling. And I think this is one of my favorites on this record, too. Wow, Falling. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a weird echo of Stopless to me in some way, just because of the (laughs) tempo and the droniness. Yeah. It's not a bad one to play. Like we've played it live. Yeah. When I was in England, it was funny because, you know, how I was saying that, like, I was scratching around for inspiration. I went out one day and went to this bookshop and found this book about, uh, it was a photography book. So it's like contemporary German photography. So it's all these photos of like, I think it was from like maybe the 90s or the noughties. So it's just modern photographs that might have ended up in magazines or art or whatever. And it was just people doing stuff like sitting around having a cup of tea or going for a walk or, you know, it was a fairground or it might have been a nighttime scene or a train or anything, right? But some of the photos were so insanely magnificent and uh, just the, the kind of photos you look at and go, oh my fucking God, I, I can... Hello. We're just podcasting. You're right. right. Sorry. Yeah, you were just like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so you look at some of these photos and like I remember literally opening a page and going, oh my God, I'm going to write a song right now. Ten minutes later, a song will be written. Wow. It would be one of the ones on, say, on the dots, but we all want to. Yeah. And uh, Falling was probably one of them. Like I could just close my eyes and see the picture of what was happening and the little mini pictures within the song and it was probably quite easy to throw together. Oh, okay. So this song is... Inspired by photographs from a book. Yeah, quite a few of the songs were. Can you actually pinpoint like lyrics? No, not really. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. 
when I can just see something, when I can just see a picture of someone on the phone, for example, in my mind or... Oh, okay. That's something that I want to ask you about because this is about the 18th song you've written about a telephone. Right. You love writing about telephones. So obviously there's some kind of communication thing with you. I guess I just find the image of someone talking on the phone super evocative and interesting. You know, like I've got a new song that I'm working on right now, which has got an opening line about being on the phone. Yeah, that's really interesting. someone on the phone is that you can only see one side of what's going on in that picture and there's a whole other side that's unseeable and unknowable. Yeah. That's what I like about it, I think. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Mm. Talking of first lines, this one is, I said I'm going to kill you. I thought about it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where that came from. And then, um, I know I'm going to have to, (laughs) I know I'm going to have to, after all the rules are twisted... I'm out from under glass. I feel myself falling. I can feel myself falling. I'm pressed up to the mouthpiece. My lips and neck are wet from a secondhand expression, from a secondhand expression. Yeah, no idea. Yeah, it's nice though. That's evocative. Like I can see this now that, you know, you're saying you're out from under glass. That could be a reference to a photograph. Yeah, I guess so. Or like a museum uh, insect or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I really like that song and it is fun to play Mm. and it does have that typical Tim Stewart signature one chord change in the middle of like a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's just like they're going around and around and all of a sudden, no, there's something else (laughs) that happens for one line. Yeah, and it's like one line's different and then back to normal. It's like... side one if you have the vinyl turn it over plunk down the needle and you've got alone in a crowd wow first comeback song of screen feeder 2017 yeah stop calling it a comeback (laughs) it's a return yeah from yeah from the wilderness it's funny though (laughs) you and i played a lot of duo shows i still feel like we were doing a lot of stuff so doing heaps of stuff i know and we were doing stuff separately but and together so it feels like we were never not a thing true we just weren't putting out screen theater albums yeah well we were we were doing like vinyl reissues yeah true (laughs) (laughs) so it's like it's the ending that goes forever (laughs) damn it damn it so alone in a crowd I I can't really remember writing this song, but I remember what it's about. I do think that it came up in this room. We might have started writing it together. Yeah. Yep. The lyrics are, you know, you surround yourself with people and I know everyone. But 
That idea came from one of my favorite ever songs called The Rat by The Walkman. Oh, that's a great song. Yes. And so that song is like really aggressive. You know, you got the nerve to be asking mm, a favor. Mm. And then it goes to this refrain in the middle where it's like, um, when I used to go out, I would know everyone that I saw. Now I go out alone if I go out at all. Mm-hmm. I love that. It was like, oh my God, that nails everything for me on the head. Like yeah. it was so true because that's what happens as you get older. For me anyway, I was going out to see music on my own. And so there comes a time where you're doing the same things, but other people have stopped doing them. Yeah, true. And then so that's where this song came from. It was like you and I were doing a duet show and you said to me, God, you know everybody, because mm. I was saying hello to everybody because I knew them somehow. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm always alone in a crowd kind of thing. Right, wow, okay. And so that stuck with me. And then I thought about that in terms with that song, um, The Rat by The Walkman, and, um, yeah, the song kind of fell out mm. by it. And I love those connections that no one has a clue about. It's not obvious but for me i think of the rat when i play this song wow okay yeah i love the rat so do i i love the walkman actually i love the walkman yeah. too they were one of those songs uh, one of those bands that put out like a couple of records disappeared and you never really saw much about them they were kind of intriguing because they for me because mm. i just didn't know a lot about them and i didn't also go searching that deeply for them but they were this mystery band. They had a good sound and the guitaring was different, the vocals are different. You're like, oh, wow, that's yeah. kind of cool and interesting. And that song is so different to the rest of the album True. that it's off. Yeah. The rest of it's a little sort of... Bluesy kind of... Yeah, but it's this noisy stuff and mm. just like singing with like no drums and yeah, songs that don't have like real structure yeah. sort of... Yeah, really interesting band. Crowd. Oh, and so when we started to write that song, musical stuff, we were like, let's try and do something like the Pixies. <laughs> oh, wow. So it definitely had like this real Frank Black guitar. Yeah. I actually remember it was actually 2015 we wrote that song. It was quite a bit early and the album came out because I remember I had a little demo of it on my phone or my four track or whatever. And I had it with me in England in 2015. And I she worked out the little nee, 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 guitar parts actually. Yeah, at my dad's place in England. Oh, right. While I was away. And so then when you came back, we We wrote the song. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Mm. Cool. Yeah. And it's, you know, fairly typical jumpy aroundy arrangement y for us, right? There's a few crazy things that kind of happen. 
Oh, I made the film clip for it as well. Yeah, you did too. That was one of the last film clips I remember making for really long. I don't think I've made any proper film clips since then, to be honest. And isn't it like phone footage? Yeah, it's all from my iPhone, right. I don't know, 5 or something. Yeah, yeah. Just bits and pieces of stuff that I filmed. Filmed you at like the Ashgrove Woolies. Yeah. <laughs> you filmed me there. We filmed Dean somewhere else. I think it was the Aldi car park. The Aldi car park in yeah. Ashgrove. And there you, you filmed go. Uh, some stuff on a train somewhere and some stuff in Singapore. Oh, and... yeah, that's right. So the stuff at the beginning is a train going from Melbourne Central to the airport and the bus. Wow. And then, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff in Singapore. The fireworks are from Singapore. There's, like, planes flying, which mm. are from Brisbane. I don't know whether people like that style of um, video. I don't know. I really oh, like Alex it. Alex back to Don't Want to Know If You're Lonely. Oh, okay. Which is a real sort of oh, just collage of just yeah. random footage. Love collages of random mm, footage. Me too. That's the way you should do it. Making It Up is the next song. Yet another England song, and one I actually I love. Like it's a, just a really short, tidy pop song, and I'm pretty happy with it. You actually asked me to sing the lyric oh, to yeah, do the right. vocals, yeah. and I was like. I tried to sing it, but I just couldn't get the phrasing right. right. Didn't feel right for me mm-hmm. to sing it. So I was like, no, nah, you've got to do it. This was another one mixed by that Dave Downham guy, the okay. beach slang guy. Yep. It's one that is just very chorus based. Yep. Repetitive, three chordsy. Yep. Who was it written about? Because it's, like it's, it's like a story. Oh, no one. It's okay. just uh, an idea. You've been making it up you know, so long that it finally came true. Yeah. So that's not specific to anyone? No, but, you know, like um, you can live sort of half kidding yourself about something for years and then one day you wake up and go, oh, actually, that's really happening in my life. Yeah, right. I can't think of a specific example, no, but I know I'm what sure you mean. that if I gave it five minutes, I probably could. Yeah. It's like the way you think is eventually what's going to happen. Yeah, or the way you believe the world to be, you suddenly turn around and go, oh, shit, it is like that. Yeah. So there were some times where I was listening to this um, where I thought it was maybe at me. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> you asked me to sing it. Mm-hmm. And that made me think, oh, maybe you wrote it for me in terms of like from my perspective Not or thinking all. about no. me. But there were things like I thought that you thought that you'd let me down and I'd pulled away. We'd fallen out of step, ran out of things to say. I couldn't tell if quietness meant you were getting bored. I kind of thought that cynicism would stop you feeling sore because I quite get, you know, I'm quite cynical. I was probably <laughs> quite bored before all this. And you can cut this out, but I did actually want to ask you about that at one point. No, I just sort of thought, you know, even up the balance of who's singing on the record, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. It's kind of like a B-side, but not. For me, it warrants being on the album. I mean, I just think 
that um, the mix gives it something. Like it's just got this kind of distorted vocal thing going on. Yeah. And it sort of makes it interesting and a tiny bit edgy. And I did notice that there are a couple of songs where you've got the distortion on your voice. Yeah. Um, and it makes it sound like you're coming through a telephone. There you go. Yes. Wow, yes, true. It's all about the telephone with you. Souvenirs. Yeah. This is one which we do every time we have a duo show. Yeah. We did it in Screen Feeder heaps. Yeah. Uh, tons of gigs. Yeah. Pretty fun. Yeah. I remember writing this and I think it was upstairs and I brought it in and I was like, I have a song and you're like, yep, this is good, but it's missing something. Right. And that's when I came up with the chorus, just mm-hmm. kind of added a few extra chords in. And I love this chorus because it, just jumps up and I really like this song because I feel like I'm Lou Barlow playing it, uh, playing all the chords and stuff. Wow, yeah, okay. So there's another Dinosaur Junior Yeah, again, thing. yes. I don't know why. I feel like I'm Lou Barlow. This is the chords. It's a pretty good thing to aspire to. Yeah, and also it's just kind of, it feels like a Sebado song yeah. a little bit. And the lead guitar thing in it is actually so simple and easy to play that I rarely fuck it up. Yeah, that's it's good. It's amazing. You yeah, know? yeah, lovely. <laughs> um, so lyrically for me, I love it when you use things that you hear in everyday, yeah. like that people say and you kind of think about, fuck, that's a really weird thing to say. Or I'm going to, that's such a cool thing, I'm going to use it. And yeah. so that's what it starts off with is you got me jumping out of my skin and then I'm rattling around like a skeleton. Because I was like, you know, when someone says they're jumping out of their skin yeah. with excitement <laughs> and I was like, all right, you're a skeleton now. <laughs> You've got no skin, you're a meat puppet. <laughs> Maybe that's where the meat puppets came yeah, from. Yeah, wow. I like that. Um the senator in waiting. Mm, what's probably, that all about? Well, <laughs> it's probably not going to mean anything to anyone, but Andrew Bartlett, someone I know, and he was a senator for the Greens, right. and before that he was in the Democrats, and uh-huh. he's got a lot to do with Triple Z, and he's someone that I bump into and talk to, and I like him a lot. I worked for him for a little bit, sort of. He lost the seat that he was going for, and the lyrics are like like a senator in waiting, always a bridesmaid, haters going to be hating. Yeah. So like he was always a bridesmaid, wow. and it's not necessarily like it's throwing shade on him or anything. It just was like a senator in waiting, and it's like, I don't know, it's kind of an unusual thing to... It sounds like a phrase that's... That's something, like it's something you borrow, but you actually yeah. made it up. No, I made it up, but then that's why I said... You're a senator in waiting. I'm a senator in waiting, <laughs> but that's why I think I brought the bridesmaid line in because like a senator in waiting, like a bridesmaid, mm-hmm. it's always, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Yes, yeah, yeah, So yeah. he was a senator who was never going to become the senator or the next thing up, and I told him about that too. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want you to think I wrote that part to like be like yeah, yeah, yeah. not 
positive because it's just ideas and words. And is the whole Sonic Souvenirs thing a big theme in the song? Like, I guess it's to do with the chorus where it's like um, I've got lots of funny new ideas mm. <laughs> which I record on my phone when I kind of thought about what they were. There were Sonic Souvenirs. It's a weird one, like it's a sweet, sweet mix. Like, you can hear the acoustic guitar in there, and uh, Derek did a lovely job mixing it. It's a weird song because it's also a little boring. It's a three chord song with some extra shit thrown in the middle. And you know what? Listening to stuff like Spiritualized, great, but you try to write a good three chord song, it's very difficult. Like, you know, it's easy to write a complex song, but it's fucking hard to write a really actually good three chord song that really works. But, um, you know, it's okay. I actually love the middle where it wanders off course and does all this other weird shit quite a lot more than the bulk of the song. sort of don't really remember it being actually about stuff but i remember the whole picture i was trying to paint was just um waiting for the world to go quiet or go dead and just being able to lie down on the ground look at the sky and just listen to the power lines buzzing and just you know stuff like that the whole yeah. idea of a little bit post-society-ish kind of thing yeah i should really like this song oh thanks it's not super screen feeder. It's way more we all want to ish, yeah, really, at the end of the day. I think so. But it's fun to play. I remember like coming up with the bass yeah, line along yeah. with it. It kind of transformed the song a bit. Oh, it makes it twice as good because anyone else would play straight root notes and it'd be kind of boring. But on so many of these songs, I do play just straight boring root mm. notes. I fully fell into that. I mean, I wrestle with it because there's yeah. some songs like Static Heart and Shelter where I'm trying to do interesting bass yeah. lines and then the root notes in other songs. But it's what the song kind of calls sure. for, yeah. you know. Yeah, I think it's good balance. Yeah. I like this song. Cool. You know, when you're saying it's really hard, so you like to listen to Spiritualize or mm. something that has those melodic and sort of songs that go round and around yeah, repetitive. and you yeah. lose yourself in them. Mm -hmm. When you write one, you feel it's so boring yeah. to play it. But when you record it and someone else is listening yeah. to it, they're having that experience that oh, you yeah, have with something sure. else. So sometimes you just are like really hard on yourself about how boring your own music is. 
I guess when the music is simple or it steps back, the lyrics have to come in and do the heavy lifting. Yeah. So like, sure, the lyrics might be a touch obtuse or open for interpretation or they might paint a picture, but are they strong? I don't know. Yeah. And I guess that's where the melody also has to do the other heavy lifting. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing about Spiritualize is they've got some absolutely insanely great songs and they've got some boring songs as well, Mm. heaps of boring songs, you know what I mean? But you like listening to them. Well, I kind of fast forward through the boring ones. (laughs) You know, I'll I'll totally, like every album's got some magic in there and some bore. Right. Well, yeah, you did actually make me a playlist of your favourite songs. I think it was one album you were like, I'm just, here's this record, Mm. it's minus the boring songs. Okay. (laughs) But, you know, it's cool. Like, I guess it's one of those artists who's got the most broad canvas of stuff and they put out so much stuff that it's about the canvas as a whole rather than the nitty-gritty little points of the canvas. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Regrets. Ah. We have a funny story. story. Do you want me to? Um, No, you can. So I think we discussed this in the episode about Five Rooms. Like when it comes to recording an album, I'm like, I get song, 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 song right at the last moment. And even though this was actually, I think, a song I'd written in England, but I had it sitting there in the wings. And Kel's the opposite. You're like very... um, Okay, we've got enough songs. Let's just concentrate on these. I'm like, no, can we do a couple more? Can we do a couple more? So one day you basically went out for lunch and Dean and I, this is the way I remember it, correct me if I'm wrong, right? But you went out for lunch. I said to Dean, hey, dude, got another song. No, I'm going to stop you. I was there. You were like, hey, guys, I've got another song. Oh, yes, okay, Because Dean was just about to pack up because he'd just done his last take. Yeah. And so it's a pretty simple song. So I showed it to Dean for about half an hour and we whacked it down. And then you went out for lunch? No, I think I cracked the shit to him for a walk. I didn't go out for lunch. I cracked the shits, though. (laughs) Yeah, but prior to cracking the shits, there was a reason why you cracked the shits, and it was because you'd been out and you walked in and there was I recording the bass for it. No, no, I'd already cracked the shits. I think I went for a walk. (laughs) And I think I even said, I don't want to play the bass on it. You can do it. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. That's not true. You walked in and I was playing the bass. You're like, what the fuck are you doing playing the bass? No, no. I remember going, I don't want to. Like, just do it. Really? I was so premenstrual also. Oh, wow. So this is the thing. It's hilarious to look back at it because I was so pissed off. Mm. The reason why I was pissed off is because Dean's time at that point was like pretty at a premium. Yeah. We just worked him to the bone and it was Sunday afternoon. He wanted to go hang out with his kids mm. and you were like, let's just do one more thing. And I was like that. I felt that was kind of a bit mean and uh-huh. rude. But also, I do have this weird cutoff of things. Like I get really set in some thought patterns where I'm like, we got to just focus on the songs that we're doing. If we just shove song in after song in, we're going to run out of time. We'll not be as good at the ones we've already got. 
which is more to do with the practice normally mm. and also probably a lot to do with the way we used to record. So it was like when you were going in for two weeks, it was like, yeah. bam, yeah. you've only got that period of time. And this was different, mm-hmm. but I still had that same mentality of like, let's just focus on what we know and not just spend time on something that you've just introduced to us on the last day of the drums, the last hour of the drums. And um, I was really premenstrual. So I had like no filter. And normally I would ingest that information in a different way and and I just didn't ingest it. It just bounced straight back out of me in like the most negative way. I went out for a walk. I know I left. Right. I was pretty embarrassed about how I reacted and I felt really bad about it. And then the next day, bam, I got my period. Right. And I was like, oh, that explains why I was such an <laughs> asshole. And I was an actual asshole. And I'm really, I make an apology to you because I've never really apologized for it. But I also hated it as much as I right. know I overreacted. I didn't like the idea of it. Uh-huh. So this song is tainted for me. Oh. <laughs> it's still a good song. Like I'm probably well over it. Yeah. But then you did it again in five rooms. And then I just instantly went into this like panic of like, why? Right. Why does Tim feel like he's just able to do this? If I had done this, it would never fly. No What's one would even fly? listen why to it. it fly? I don't know. I just feel like it's something that you would do. Of course it would fly. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter because, like, I wouldn't do it. I do all my writing for a purpose. I, sometimes it would be very unusual for me to just yeah. have a song fall out of the air the day before I'm going to record. That's, like, always for me. Always Yeah, happens. see, that doesn't happen to me because, like, I just the way I work. Yeah. You should see the poor guys in Wheel One Two. Like you know, we're recording an album like two days before. I'm like, ah, oh, sorry, guys, I've got three more new songs, and plus I've changed four of the other ones. Yeah, so you like, know, oh, I would freak out if you did that yeah. to me. <laughs> so you've never really done that to me besides that. Yeah. So poor Wheel One Two. How do they cope? Oh, they just freaking roll their eyes and get down in business. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. They're used to they it. They don't have tantrums them like me. Submission with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've ever lost it like that at wow. you before. Really, have I? You've lost it for different reasons in different circumstances. Like, apology accepted, by the way. Like, I seriously don't yeah, care. I, know. I, I didn't think anything of it at the time. Like, it was nothing, you know. It was very amplified for yeah. me. So, yeah, I yeah. probably reacted and then internalized mm-hmm. everything else that I was feeling and felt everybody could feel it radiating right. off me. Mm. But I've told that story a few times. Joe thinks it's hilarious. Yeah, he right. was there. Yeah, he was. Yeah. <laughs> I told it to Anna and she thought it was funny, but she understood. Right. Maybe I, in the end, just did the bass just so we could speed it along. I can't even remember. Uh, you might have done the bass to play along with Dean's drumming. True, yeah. But anyway, I don't even know who played bass on it in the end. Me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, and that's the first time I've never played bass. On, wow. Oh, no, that's not true. I played the guitar and you played bass on yeah, some true. of the stuff. But I didn't play on this song. Yeah, wow. Okay. Because I chucked a nana. <laughs> like a little baby. <laughs> Good on me. <laughs> Good on you. What an asshole. <laughs> so there we go. That's the story of regrets. I have none. Yeah, I have none either. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to talk about that song? Um, I think so. Like it's a really straightforward, linear, quite unscreen feederish song yeah. about having regrets about things that may have happened at various points in your own history. So it's very everything on display kind of lyrics. Yeah. And I think this was one of those songs 
when you brought in a whole bunch of songs for uh, Five Rooms, there were quite a few songs that mined the same territory, which yeah. was all the nostalgia stuff, which I feel kind of was just heavily overplayed. Yeah, and, sure. And that might also be because of my relationship with regrets. Right. It might have tainted right. that stuff. Although I don't feel it's like necessarily suited to screen feeders. Yeah, it's not too far off the track. I mean, I think it's more screen feeder than say a song like um what's that one we we're just talking about? Uh Not Afraid. Yeah, not afraid. But yeah, whatever. This song actually reminds me of um Time of Your Life by Green Day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's a lot more sadder or something. It's a bit more Yeah. downbeat. Mm. Do you remember when we were big on Seinfeld and <laughs> they had Time of Your Life as the closing oh. song? I don't know if it on was the, the last, last episode. Was it the last episode? Yeah, I think so. And it was super hard hitting. Remember it was Goosebumps. Oh, and but like... no, that last Seinfeld episode was terrible. Was it? <laughs> yeah, it was so bad. The whole thing was everybody came to like complain about what they'd done throughout all the whole show wow. like the lady with the bub car because uh-huh. they're on trial for being bad humans right i saw it again maybe oh, yeah. like a year ago and i just again was like no it was a pretty shit ending to a really incredible tv show i might have some regrets but i don't let them kill me things i like to forget i try to change but sometimes i get off Blaming of the past It's gonna get you nowhere, nowhere fast I might have some regrets But the decade wasn't wasted I led it to my family I led it to my friends Watching the ending of Sopranos. Yes. How good was that? I hated it and I got really angry and I kicked my front door. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I just felt there was like no closure. It was like so many things that weren't answered and like I it what was happened. A sweet way to end because it offered two options of how the whole thing could end. And that was enough. You didn't want five options. I think I was two just was okay. Every minute I'm like, oh my God. Something really bad's going to happen, and it didn't. But it kind of probably did, but it ended. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, sorry. I've probably just ruined this for someone. (laughs) Please put a spoiler alert on this. Yeah, I think it was genius, actually. Yes, and so I mean, I've talked about it for Mm. years and Mm. years, and I've read about it, and, like, the writer said that it was audience that got whacked, you know. Yeah, true. It's like The Sopranos was life-changing as yeah, a television totally. show and, and narrative mm. storytelling, and but then so was Seinfeld right. for comedy mm-hmm. and like how they'd make a joke stretch for like weeks. Yes. You know, yeah. um, God, TV back then was amazing. Yeah. And it still is. It's yeah. probably better than it's ever been. True. But Sopranos is number one and nothing's ever knocked it off. I should learn from trying to avoid them the second time around to 
say that I was wasted Or I was trying to waste your time I was only wasting, wasting He can say Ricky Gervais stuff. I know you're not a huge fan, but he might he might get to number one for me. Wow. Yeah, really, really rate him. Holy moly. Yeah. Yeah, I have a funny thing with him. I kind of think he punches down a lot sometimes. I guess it's how you perceive it, because yeah. I don't get that at all. Yeah. yeah. If we start on this, we're going to have to do another, like, five oh, sorry. episodes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. We, we'll do a TV episode. We should. That'd be cool. Sciatic Heart is the last song Sciatic on the Heart, album. Yeah, this gave me a really joyous feeling in my heart when I listened to this on the way up in the car. I forgot what it was like. Yeah. It is really, what is the word? Kooky. Joyous. Yes, and joyous. kooky. And really you. Yeah. They're really you lyrics. Yeah. And the arrangement's super cool. The bass riff, the chorus, the way that the chorus steps back and chills out yeah. is cool. Yes. I like the idea of what a sciatic heart is as yeah. well, you know, and what is it? Well, the sciatic nerve runs through the spine and it's the one that transfers pain if you've got a dodgy vertebrae yeah. or something, right? It's called sciatica where you get yeah. the pinching of the nerve. Yeah. So you're saying that you've got this heart with an iffy nerve. Yeah, I think it's like your heart hurts for a reason that's not associated right. to it. or the other way around. Or the other way around. Yeah. Your heart's hurting because cause it also then says it's my medicated part. And I think that's just, you know, like being on antidepressants or something, you know, uh-huh. that idea of the transference of pain from somewhere to another side because of the medication you're on or I don't know. It's just a picture. I think a lot of people would probably relate to it because it doesn't say what it is. It's inferring something. It's inferring it fairly, you know, obtusely too. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. But it works as a song, you know, like it's... Seems to say something. deal with uh-huh. the like joyous yeah on cheekiness yeah i don't know it's kind of fun and it kind of drifts out and ends the album on a it like puts you down again yeah you know yeah i reckon it could be my fave on the album mm. and i think we should bring it back in the set what do you say yeah
So that, everybody, was Pop Guilt. Yeah, I'm going to, well, when I was listening to it in the car, the B-sides from Alone in Crowd came on, which I'll mention briefly. Yeah. Because we tacked them on the back of the album for the digital version. And there's a song called Rules Retraction, which sounds killer. Like it's got a super heavy guitar, heavy mix. It's vocals are all pretty good. It's um, got a decent enough chorus. In fact, I would prefer it was on the album rather than a few mm. songs that actually made yeah. it on there. Yeah. I made a video of the We Are Want To bass player, Scott Mercer, who also runs the podcast Gimme Empathy, and his then-girlfriend, Samantha, in their unit in West End. I made the video. Remember that video of the oh, song? Yeah. They got the tape, and they're pulling the tape out of the out of the cassette, and they're getting all wrapped up in yeah. it and stuff, because the song sort of uses the cassette and sound recording as the metaphor kind of thing. Uh-huh. And I kind of like the song. It's kind of cool. And then there's the other song on there, which is one um, of my favourite Screen Feeder songs of all time. It's <laughs> been my top five. I'm fighting. Why is it? Your top five, and it's only a B side. I know. That's Why? funny. It's. I guess I it was just it... a late stage song, and we'd already put it out as a B side on the single, so we couldn't then slap it on the album. Yeah, for some you could. Reason, but... <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Yeah, I know. It's so funny how. Is it because it's a B side that it's your favorite? If it was on the album, would it rate? There's that thing again. Yeah. I mean, yes, because it's a B-side, I like it that little bit more, but it's got so much energy and it's so fast and so you can hear I'm straining the fuck out of my voice trying to get yeah. the parts. And I actually think the lyrics are pretty cool and uh, it's just about someone, one of these people you see on the street that's insane. Yeah. Like it's about an insane person who's on the street just fucking shouting into the void. You yeah. know what I mean? it too mm. i don't know why we didn't use it on the album well it's out there it's out there in the world it's out there living its own life yeah <laughs> it's, it's own mad life <laughs> screaming to the abyss yes it's <laughs> screaming at clouds yeah. like an old man We put it out ourselves, of course. Well, we didn't actually because we had an American record label put it out. Can you look at the back oh, and sure. remind me what they were called? Oh, it's Rogue Wave. Rogue Wave, yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, this came out on the ABC. Yeah, in Australia the ABC issued it as well. That's weird. Okay. <laughs> yeah, weird, isn't it? I'm confused because we crowdfunded it. I think what happened was we basically crowdfunded the recording and paid for everything ourselves, including... Probably including the Australian manufacturer. I can't remember, right? But yeah. then licensed it to Rogue Wave in America and the ABC here. So oh, they right. just they just put it out through their channels. Yeah, cool. So when you do that, you basically tap into their marketing networks. Yeah, that's right. Yay. Yay for us. We did yeah. another record. Another one, huh? What number is this? Is seven or eight? So that's number seven. It's seven. Yeah. But it's the eighth podcast and the yeah, eighth album. Yeah, because we did album. five rooms first. Yeah. Yes. Number eight. Yeah. Will there be a number nine? Of the podcast or albums? Albums. 
Yes. Who knows? I know. Well, I don't. <laughs> Did you not get the memo? No. What the memo? memo is now delivered. I want to write a book too. Really? Yes, by the way, I want to write a book. Children's book? Yeah. Really? Dear children, don't <laughs> grow up to be like me. No. <laughs> Dear children, shut up. <laughs> yeah, shut up. No, I want to write a book, but I mean, honestly, that's going to be in the future. I so have, it's not going to be in the past? Or the no, it, it hasn't happened yet, <laughs> and um, it's going to be in the future. Okay. In the far distant future. Okay. I have plans, though. Mm, I don't nice. know. Big plans. Yeah. And we've got a film that's going to come out at some yeah, point. Yeah, we do. don't know when that's happening. Sometime in the future. I'm It'll like, be sometime yes. in the future. That's my new goodbye to people now. Like instead <laughs> of like when I work in my office, like I don't know when I'm going to be in again or when they're going to be there again. So it's always like I'll see you in the future. It's a good one because when you say goodbye to someone, it almost sounds terminal. Post. It sounds like something in the past. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So see you in the future means. I like it. It's almost saying hello. Whoa. It's almost like saying goodbye, hello. No, it's not. It sounds like that to me. It sounds so about Dracula. to happen. Yeah, something. I don't know. See you in the future then. <laughs> should we wind this up? And how should yeah. we end it? Well, I'll see you in the future. I'll see you in the future. I'll see. Not if I see you first. <laughs> not if I get there before you do. <laughs> damn it. God damn it. All right. Well, um, thanks for listening. And you're all wonderful people for subscribing to our Patreon. Yeah. Brace yourself for Series 2. It's going to be modern and exciting, and it's going to happen in the future. Indeed. And you know what else we're going to do in Series 2? What? We're going to have an episode all about Dean, with Dean. <gasps> yes. We're going to have one with Derek. Yes. We're going to have one with Joe. Sure. I'd like to do some interviews with people. That'd be amazing. It'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should also do an episode on our other bands that we've oh, done. Oh, definitely. Definitely yeah. we should do that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right, Cal. Well, look... It's been massive. It's been real. Yeah, it has. <laughs> and hey, we've made a lot of really great music together. High five, dude. High five. Put it in the sound of high five there. Let's just do one. Come here. Oh. It's going to have to be a loud one. Ready? Here we go. Okay. Ow! <laughs> <laughs> that was loud. And also, I had to get up off the floor because I'm sitting on the floor. I had to get up out of my chair. <laughs> I was like, ow, my hips. <laughs> I don't get out of my chair to high five many people in life, dude. <laughs> um, honestly, it has been really amazing to go through our back catalogue in this very specific way mm-hmm. to talk about it. And I'm so glad that we were able to put the caveat on um, our conversations about this in our last episode that talked about it's yes, kind of weird yes, to talk about yes. it and we sound like we're prats mm-hmm. saying how great our music is and how much we love that album. Mm. But it's all about context and it's all been about us listening back because I just don't listen back to it very often at all. So it's actually been a really interesting thing to do and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, same. Definitely. Yay. Yay. Thanks, everybody. See you in the future. Thanks, Kel. Thanks, Tim. See you in the future. Um, Bye.